Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. So a couple of weeks ago when I involved in Equipus College, that's our, our main um, thing, we run the worship stream there in Auckland and so every year we have the privilege of of training up a whole group of young people, not just in music and worship, but in character and discipling them and, and just, you know, understanding that Jesus is their everything and how to walk that out. And um, and so this year, it was actually a couple of weeks ago, we've got a team of eight interns as well this year, which is flipping awesome. Um, and one of the girls, so in the morning, we have morning worship every morning. And uh, two weeks ago, one of our interns led the HQ kind of team rally time beforehand. And she's from Germany stayed on um, after college last year, and she just said, you know, the word on my heart today is I just feel like God's saying, don't fear the silence, like in, in a moment of silence when you can't necessarily hear God, don't fear that, don't fear the silence, I'm like, oh, that's cool, you know, like it's a chance to trust Him more, it's a chance to really, you know, press into the things that God has spoken and the promises He's given, don't fear the silence, I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then the worship leader who was leading that morning, another of our interns, said, oh, well, the word I have on my heart today is we've got to sing loud. <laughs> we've got to praise him, like, really loud this morning. I'm like, oh, this is slightly awkward. Like, these two very different messages coming out. I like, don't fear the silence, but let's, let's praise loud. Um, so I, so I, and then I was service leading that morning after the worship time. So I kind of just strung that together. And as I thought more about this whole concept of, not being fearful of silence. You know, sometimes God doesn't speak clearly, and that's when we have to actually just trust in what he's spoken previously and cling to the promises he's already spoken. We don't need to um, be hearing a fresh thing, although I believe God's speaking all the time, but sometimes he's silent because he's wanting us to dig deeper in trust in what he's already spoken. And so, but then also Alana was saying, you know, we need to praise loud. I have a sense that this morning there's a, a praise that needs to come out of us that's going to break through atmospheres. I'm like, cool, two, two truths, but, but combined together. And so as I was service leading, I just thought, oh, it reminds me of, you know, the classic, the classic passage in Acts 16. No, it's not Acts 16. It's, yes, it is Acts 16, which I'm going to read to you in a minute. But, you know, the story of Paul and Silas and, you know, this is the, the classic portion of scripture that we preach at worship conferences and, you know, teaching seminars about worship, and it's Paul and Silas um, in, 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 cap, in captivated, not in captivated, in a, in a prison anyway, and in, in the midst of being um, imprisoned in a, a Roman prison, they, you know, they sing out, they choose to praise and worship, and incredible things happen, and, and, um, and prisoners get released, and chains get broken off, and breakthrough happens, and I've always read that, so I, so I shared that, you know, in the, in the middle of the silence, you know, Paul and Silas were in a very silent, dark place, but they choose praise and worship. They chose to lift up, to magnify Jesus, and breakthrough happened, and miracles happened in that place. And often we can read that, that passage in isolation, like, yeah, like I said, you know, that's the classic worship conference, you know, sacrifice of praise, which is all true. But I, this morning, I want to suggest to you that Often we zoom into little portions of scripture and we go, oh yeah, that's a key for me. But today I want to zoom out on the background behind that story because I think it's a whole lot bigger than just Paul and Silas choosing praise in a Roman prison. And so, if, if that's okay, I want to read to you today from, um, no, that he's falling asleep, from Acts chapter 16. It's quite a big chunk of scripture, but uh, follow along with me. So this is um, Paul and Silas. 
and they've been traveling around as missionaries. They went out together as missionaries, traveling to different cities where they preached and informed the churches, blah, 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 blah. And it says in verse 5, all the churches were growing daily and were encouraged and strengthened in their faith. All the churches that they had involvement in were growing daily and were encouraged and strengthened in their faith. Then it says this in verse 6, the Holy Spirit had forbidden Paul and his partners to preach the word in the southwestern provinces of Turkey. So they ministered throughout the region of central and west central Turkey. And when they got as far west as the borders of Mysia, they repeatedly attempted to go north into the province of Bithynia. But again, the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to enter. So instead, they went right on through the province of Mysia to the seaport of Troas. And in verse 9, While staying there, Paul experienced a supernatural, ecstatic vision during the night. A man from Macedonia appeared before him, pleading with him, you must come across the sea to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had this vision, we immediately prepared to cross over to Macedonia, convinced that God himself was calling us to go and preach the wonderful news of the gospel to them. In the, in the message, this is the Passion Translation, but in the message it says, Paul had his map. Isn't that cool? So once he'd seen this vision and this Macedonian man saying, come across to Macedonia, you need to come and help us. It was like Paul had a map. He knew where he was going. So from Troas, we sailed a straight course to the island of mm, Samothrace, Samothrace, something like that. And the next day to Neapolis. Finally, we reached Philippi, a major city in the Roman colony of Macedonia. And we remained there for a number of days. Then this is cool. Verse 13. You all right? You, you with me? Verse 13. When the Sabbath day came, we went outside the gates of the city to the nearby river. For there appeared to be a house of prayer and worship there. So just by the riverside, not in a building, not a you know synagogue or a temple. By the river, there appeared to be a house of prayer and worship there. Sitting on the riverbank, we struck up a conversation with some of the women who had gathered there. And one of them was Lydia a businesswoman from the city of Thyatira who was a dealer of exquisite purple cloth and a Jewish convert. So she was a convert to Judaism. So she's a believer in God, but she's been converted to Judaism, not to Christianity. Um, when Paul shared the good news with her, in other words, when Paul shared Jesus with her, God opened her heart to receive Paul's message. She devoted herself to the Lord. And we baptized her and her entire family. Afterwards, she urged us to stay in her home, saying, since I am now a believer in the Lord, come and stay in my house. So we were persuaded to stay there. Then again, verse 16. One day, as we were going to the house of prayer, we encountered a young slave girl who had an evil spirit of divination, the spirit of Python. She had earned great profits for her owners by being a fortune teller. So here's a young woman who's obviously operating in some sort of spirit, but it's not the spirit of God. She's possessed. But the funny thing is, she's calling out, follow these men. These are men of God. Follow them. They know what they're talking about. So he's actually, she's actually speaking truth. She's actually declaring these men are worth following. They know God. But there's a spirit operating in her that is a divining spirit. It's not the spirit of God. So here's a young woman who's operating in a gift. I believe that was God-given, but because of the spirit with which she's operating, it's being used by a different power. And men are earning money off her gift. So she has a spirit of divination. She can just work stuff out, almost maybe like a psychic. you know. And she's operating in this, and men are profiting from her gift, 
And it says, and in, in further on, it says, Paul and Silas had enough. And they said, We're, this is really annoying us. You're actually distracting us. And so they, they cast the demon out of her. And then, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out. And the woman was instantly delivered. We don't hear much of what happened to the woman after that. But any time we encounter Jesus, any time the power of Jesus is in operation in our life, stuff has to shift. So I believe this woman was turned around and became a follower of Jesus as well. So then... Um, when her owners realized that their potential of making profit had vanished, they forcefully seized Paul and Silas and dragged them off to the city square to face the authorities. So the, so the crowd basically stir up a riot against Paul and Silas. And they're like, you know, they're, they're stirring up. It's really interesting. They, it says this. Um, These Jews are troublemakers. They're throwing our city into confusion. They're like, really? They, they weren't throwing the city into confusion. They were just walking around sharing the message of Jesus. But people were getting stirred up in their spirits. So they're pushing their Jewish religion down our throats. And as far as I can tell, they've met with a lady in a house of prayer by the river and baptized her and her family. They've released a demon-possessed young woman, and her life's turned around. But they're not pushing anything down their throats. They're just spreading the message of Jesus. Um, but they say it's wrong and unlawful for them to promote these Jewish ways, for we are Romans living in a Roman colony. Now, you need to understand the backstory. Philippi was a stronghold. It was, a, it was the Roman of Roman cities. Um, it was like just basically um, Roman soldiers would go there to retire. It was, it was a, a huge Roman stronghold. So the message of Jesus had not reached Philippi yet. But remember, Paul and Silas, under unction of the Holy Spirit, knew they had to go there and the vision of the Macedonian man. So a great crowd gathered and all the people joined in to come against them. The Roman officials ordered that Paul and Silas be stripped of their garments and beaten with rods on their bare backs. Anyone had that happen to them? Anyone been stripped naked? You know, beaten with rods? Um, okay, cool. So Paul and Silas, under unction of the Holy Spirit, have gone to Philippi because they know they have a message to declare and people to reach. And yet now they find themselves dragged in front of a bunch of people stripped and um, beaten with rods, and then they get thrown into prison. After they were severely beaten, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer, who was probably an ex-Roman um, soldier, he's retired, and his job is to guard the prisoners. His job as jailer is to basically ensure that no one escapes, and it's a, a huge calling and a job of honor for him to do that. So the jailer um, placed them in the innermost cell of the prison and had their feet bound in chains. Now, it's interesting. We often read that and we go, oh, yeah, yeah, they're thrown into prison. Cool, cool, cool. Like, you need to understand what sort of prison this was. In Roman prisons, there were three levels of confinement. The first was called the communiora. I think that's right, the communiora. And this is where you still have fresh air and light, basically minimum security. Paul and Silas were not thrown into that part. Secondly is called the interiora. This is where there are iron bars, locked doors, it's dark, um, no one's allowed to visit, they are chained in the interior. Paul and Silas were not thrown into that prison. The third innermost part of the prison was called the Tulanian, and basically it was the dungeon where men were sent to die. And they were put in stocks, now we think, you know, I can remember going to fairgrounds and you see those stocks where you put your, anyone been there? You know, like you put your hands through and you, and you take a photo. I'm in prison, woohoo. Okay, so, so they were put in stocks and chains. Now, these were not just to hold them to the ground. These stocks were then stretched tight to the point 
where their limbs experienced constant excruciating agony. This is where Paul and Silas were thrown. The innermost dungeon where men are sent to die, they're put in stocks and chains and stretched to the point of constant agony. And this is the place where Paul and Silas decide to sing. This is the place where Paul and Silas decide to pray. This is the place where Paul and Silas say, we're still going to lift up the name of Jesus because we know the Holy Spirit has led us here on assignment. We didn't expect to be thrown into prison, but Paul was no stranger to prison. And what I love about the Apostle Paul is he lived constantly in a place above. Like I said, he viewed his circumstances through the nature and character of God. Cool. Okay, cool, cool, cool. I'm being stretched. Anyone been stretched before? (laughs) Okay, so I want to share a story with you. A few years ago, a number of years ago, actually, when Wayne and I were still touring with the parachute band, we were actually at Saddleback Church in California, large, large church. Um, and there was a woman there, we were leading worship, but there was a woman there that morning. She was from Africa, Zambia, I think. She was a princess from the royal family. And it was um, AIDS uh, Awareness Week. And she was an HIV positive um, sufferer. She had contracted AIDS from her parents who had both died of AIDS. She had nursed both of them through. She had a nine-year-old daughter. And she was aware that her daughter was probably HIV positive and would likely die of the disease as well. But she was a born-again Christian. And she stood on that platform that morning, and she said, you know, she shared her story, and then she said, here's the thing. I count it an honor and a privilege to carry this disease for God's glory. Right? I count it an honor and a privilege to carry this disease for Jesus' glory. I'm pretty sure the week before I'd been complaining about having a cold. Oh, my nose is a bit sniffly. I can't breathe properly. Can't get enough breath to sing. I'm like, seriously. I was so impacted by this woman's testimony that, again, living above her circumstances, yes, she was an HIV carrier, but she was also an advocate and a, 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 a lover of Jesus Christ carrying his message worldwide. And when she said, I count an honor and a privilege to carry this disease for his glory, I was so impacted. So here's Paul and Silas. You know, they're stretched. That woman was stretched. I think often we are afraid of the stretch because we think it's going to break us. But when we are on assignment from God, when we know the, the relationship with Jesus, when we know what he's called us to, when we're listening to the Holy Spirit's voice and going where he leads us, he will provide. I don't believe Paul and Silas knew they were going to end up in prison. And yet here they were. They'd gone on assignment from the Holy Spirit. It didn't include that. But here they were. And so their choice was to sing. Here's the beautiful thing. When they began to pray, it was about midnight. They sang and they prayed and they praised. And they just lifted up Jesus in that place, in the place of silence, in the place of darkness. This was a very quiet, dark place that they were in. There was no one to encourage them, just the presence of God within them. And so they did what they knew to do, and they lifted up Jesus, and they praised, and they prayed, and they lifted him up. And, and as they lifted him up, the other prisoners around, it says in the Bible, were listening. They were listening to what was coming out of their mouths. This would have been altogether different from anything they'd heard in that prison before. <laughs> they would have been hearing moaning and complaining and shrieks and screams. And yet these two men of God who'd been put in prison for not doing anything except preaching Jesus— are bringing a whole different sound in that place. 
And so they lift up the name of Jesus. And then it says in the Bible that all of a sudden there was a mighty earthquake. And the chains fell off, not just Paul and Silas, but all the prisoners. And all the doors opened. And, and, and the, the, the earthquake was like supernatural, you know. And so all the doors opened, the, the chains fell off. Now, if that was you in one of those prison cells, what would your response have been? I'm gapping it. <laughs> I'm out of here. I've been set free. I'm off. <laughs> I'm going. But Paul and Silas stayed right where they were. Why did they stay, stay right where they were? Because they were on assignment and they hadn't yet met the man in the vision, the Macedonian man. And so they stay where they are. And the other prisoners, they stay where they were too. That's kind of weird. But I wonder if maybe they were hearing Paul and Silas's praise and worship and they could sense the presence of God. And there was a sense of, oh my gosh, I need to stay where this presence is because there's something about these men that is altogether different to anything I've ever experienced before, the life of Jesus in them. So they stayed right where they were. And then the jailer, wakes up. Maybe from the earthquake, I'm not sure. But he, his first response is, the, the doors are open, the prisoners have gone. That, you would think that, right, as the jailer? They've, they've gone. There's no way they're still in place. And so his, his response is to take his knife, his sword, and to take his life because of the, of the honor or the dishonor through losing the prisoners. He was a, an ex-Roman soldier who was in charge of this prison. It was his greatest honor to guard the prison. And this thing's happened, supernatural, yes, but he was convinced the prisoners had all gone. So he goes to kill himself because that would be better than facing the dishonor of letting down um, his, his, his leaders or the authorities. And Paul calls out, stop, don't do it. We're all still here. We're still here. Don't take your life. And you know what? I wonder when Paul looked at that jailer, whether he saw the Macedonian man in his vision. I wonder if that was the man. And that, that man, that Macedonian man who met Paul in a vision and said, please come over here to help us. We need your help. He wouldn't have even been aware, but maybe the Holy Spirit was already working in his heart and drawing and, and, and showing the vision of himself to Paul and Paul knew when he saw the jailer, this is what we've come for. We didn't come here to be free. We didn't come here to live a comfortable life. We didn't come to this place. We came here because the Holy Spirit forbade us to go somewhere else and open the door here. We've got our map. This is where we need to be. And when he saw the Macedonian um, jailer, maybe he saw the vision of the man and he realized this is what we've come here for. Lydia, the woman who um, dealt in fine cloth, got saved and her whole family baptized. The demon-possessed woman, you know, on their way, they meet the demon-possessed woman and they deliver her and she gets radically transformed and then they meet the jailer. And it, this is what's beautiful. The jailer comes rushing in and he falls at their feet and he says, what do I need to be saved? The gospel had not reached Philippi as far as I'm aware at this point and yet he knew he needed to be saved. He knew there was something different about these men. He's like, what do I need to do? Tell me, there's something about you I need. Again, he probably wasn't aware that the Holy Spirit was already working in him, but he was. And he called out in the vision. And, and so they led him to the Lord. They led him to Jesus. And it says the jailer and his entire household got saved and baptized. It didn't say, the, this is all in the middle of the night. You know, midnight this happened, maybe 12.33, 
maybe, chains fall off, jailer goes to sword, you know, and then possibly 1245 or maybe only, you know, don't, don't do it, we're all still here, you know, this is the middle of the night. And they, and they take um, Paul and Silas, go over them, they baptize them, and then they return to prison. They go back to the prison after the jailer has taken them into his home and he's washed their wounds and he's fed them. So, do you know what I love about this story? In the book of Philippi, right at the beginning, Paul sends a message. So he's writing to the Philippian church. This is in the city of Philippi, all this happens. He's writing to the Philippian church and he starts off by basically saying, hey, this is a letter to the Philippian church and your pastors and leaders. Who do you think they were? Lydia, the demon-possessed girl maybe. Maybe she had a deliverance ministry now. <laughs> maybe she was a prophet. You know, she was operating in a natural gift. I believe a God-given gift, but just for the wrong power. And once she was redeemed, that was turned around. And I wonder if the jailer became the pastor of the church. He had a clear pastoral gift. He washed their wounds. He fed them. You know, I, 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 it really excites me because I realize when we read this whole story and we've read that section, like I said, in relation to bringing sacrifice of praise, and that's true, we need to do that. But I, this morning, I want us to kind of zoom. I don't know why I'm doing this. Do you know what? Lately, I've started going like this on just like photos, like physical photos to try and, because my eyes are getting worse. And even in life, sometimes I'm standing somewhere, I'll be like, oh, wait a minute, you can't do that. Like zooming, <laughs> zooming out. But um. But I wonder this morning if we can kind of zoom out and, and really look at that whole story in its entirety, because this was not just about Paul and Silas choosing something good in a prison. That was a little part of it. But what I want us to pull out of this this morning are four points, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up real soon. And the first one is basically choose to listen. Choose to listen. We need to be intimately acquainted with the voice of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking all the time. You know, one time last year, during lockdown it was actually, I was having a quiet time and I was just kind of processing with the Lord a few areas, you know, probably historical things of fear and different things. And I remember just saying, you know, just processing it with God. And I felt God clearly say, you've got fear muffs on. Fear muffs. Fear muffs on, you need to take them off. I'm like, wait a minute, was that, you didn't really just say that, did you, God? And I'm thinking, I wasn't clear, clever enough to make that up. <laughs> but you've got fear muffs on, and you need to take them off. And I'm like, God, was that, was that really you, or did I make And he goes, that was me. He goes, you know the feel of my voice. I've never heard his voice audibly. But he said, you know the feel. You know what it feels like when I speak to you. You understand what it feels like when I, when I talk to you about something. You know the feeling you get in your spirit when you're hearing me speak. So he said, so, I, so the point number one, choose to listen. We have to be listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit because he wants to direct us and lead us. He wants to help us in every single aspect of our lives, not just the big things, the little things, the day-to-day. -day. We're meant to just walk with him. I love that about Adam and Eve. They just walked and talked with God in the garden. That's what we were designed for, an intimate, connected relationship where we just walk and talk with God. Holy Spirit wants to do that for us on a daily, hour by hour, minute by minute basis. Um, a few years ago, I, I remember just saying to the Lord, I just really want to operate in the, you know, like go into a place and see something and go, Holy Spirit, what are you saying here? And what do you want me to do? Like that real, you know, Holy Spirit, like direct me in every part of my day. And, 
And, and that afternoon, I had to pop into the Vodafone store to pick up a battery or something for my phone, like a whatever it was. Um, and so I'm like, Holy Spirit, is there something you want me to say in this place? Is there someone I need to connect with? You know, like, I was really excited. And so, and I was standing in a, two queues. There were two cashiers working in the store that day. And, um, and I just thought, oh, I need to strike up a conversation with, you know. And so the lady that was serving me had a beautiful ring on her finger, like big diamond. I said, oh, here's my in. I said, oh, that's a beautiful ring. I said, is that an engagement ring? She goes, oh, it was. I'm like, oh, awkward. <laughs> um, yeah, she goes, yeah, no, I was engaged, but my, um, my fiancé, we actually got pregnant, and I, I wanted to keep the baby. He didn't, so he left me. I'm like, okay. This, like, straight up, she just told me this in the shop. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this has suddenly got very awkward. Like, holy spirit, what am I meant to say to that? Ne the girl next to me, an older lady, says, oh, I know how that feels. So she's just waiting to be, and she chimes in as well. And I'm like, I just need to get out of here. This is horrible. So, you know, she's crying. This lady's really, oh, I know how that feels. And she started to, you know, talk. And I'm like, okay, took my batch. I said, well, have a lovely day. God bless. And I walked out of the shop. I'm like, what was that about? Like, Holy Spirit, I felt like I was meant to. And straight away, I felt God say to me, don't let that woman leave the store without talking to her. I'm like, oh. Here we go. So I hid <laughs> in the store next door. <laughs> I'm like, oh. So I kind of, you know, snuck around the corner in the store. It was in a mall. It was in the Pakuranga Mall. I hid in the corner, and I watched as the lady, the one in the queue next to me, walked out, and I kind of pounced on her. Um, but I said, look, I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I, I obviously understand you're going through a bit of a journey. I did not mean for, you know, for that to happen. But I, I said, do you need to talk? Like, are you okay? And we ended up walking through the mall, and she just started unpacking her whole journey. She'd just gone through a battle with cancer. Um, she had a 17-year-old son who was very troubled, and she wanted him to live, but her partner at the time didn't, you know, want the son to live with him, so he said, you choose me or him. And she said, I, I have to choose my son. And so he left her in the middle of a cancer battle, in the middle of, and this had just been brought up by asking this girl about her ring, and so we just chatted, and I said, look, I'm a Christian. Um, I'd love to pray for you. I, I can't begin to understand what it feels like to go through what you're going through, but I know God is near. And, you know, it turned out she had a Catholic background, so she understood some things about God. But she goes, oh, yes, please. And she stood there like this, with her, in the middle of the mall, her eyes closed. I'm like, um, I was kind of mean when I got home, I'd pray for you. But, um, but I thought, oh, okay, here we go, Holy Spirit. So I just put my hand on her shoulder and, you know, right outside countdown, people are coming and going. And I just said, Lord, would you just touch her? Lord, would you just let her know that you're close, that you're near, that you have her life in your hands, that you understand and you know, and would you be your comfort and your peace? I can't lie, but that's pretty much what I prayed. And we said, amen. And I gave her my number and said, you know, if you want to have a coffee sometime, like, here's my number. And she said, oh, that would be nice. I've never heard from her. I've never seen her since, but I believe that was a divine connection that day. And maybe somewhere else along the line, someone else picked up the journey and intersected with her. Maybe now she knows the fullness of Jesus. The thing is, it's not my responsibility to understand or see always the big picture. It's our responsibility to listen to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what are you saying? Paul and Silas were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go into a certain province because God had plans for them somewhere else. So choose to listen, number one. Number two, choose to walk. Just choose to walk. 
each day choose to walk with the Holy Spirit, like that story I just told you. It was a, it was a decision. God, I just want to, I want to be your hands and feet. I want to see the Holy Spirit do some stuff. I'm choosing to walk with you through my day and seeing what you might do through me. Um, even in the, in the, I had to Uber to the airport on the way down here on Friday and there was a, a the Uber driver was called Ahmed and he was, I thought, oh, I wonder where he's from. So I just struck up a conversation. You know, where are you from, Ahmed? Yes, I'm from Egypt and um, had been, you know, in, in Qatar before that and he just told me a little bit about his journey with wanting to come to New Zealand for a better lifestyle and his two little boys and his wife and, you know, he was a very highly trained, um, he's in the, uh, the TV industry, but he couldn't get a job here. But he got citizenship, which was amazing. And so now he's Uber driving and maybe hoping that a job in the, in, the, in the TV industry will open up. But he's here. He's a resident. His family made a way for them to be here. And I'm like, but he was a Muslim. Um, and we just chatted. And, you know, at the end, I just said, hey, it's, it was lovely to meet you. Ahmed, God bless you. And I really hope and pray that everything works out. You know, again, I don't know, but maybe the Holy Spirit's working in that. Maybe just a kind word. Maybe just a, a little chat about where someone's at can open up their hearts to the reality of Jesus. So choose to walk. Choose to walk through your day looking for those opportunities for the Holy Spirit to move, for God to do something. And then thirdly, I just need to wake my computer up here. appreciate the fact that I've actually done all this without my computer. <laughs> Sorry, I need, you know, my, it's, my, it's my lifeline. Um, third, choose to respond. I love the fact that Paul and Silas knew what their response was going to be. In the prison, they knew our response is to lift up Jesus. Our response is to pray and to praise and to worship. Um, here's the thing, Lydia was a response of Paul and Silas's, or was the result of Paul and Silas listening to God, choosing to walk, listening to the Holy Spirit, choosing to walk, and then choosing to respond. They heard about a house of prayer and worship that was happening on the on the riverbank. It wasn't a Christian church. Jesus hadn't been preached there yet. She'd been converted to, to Judaism, and they chose to respond. We're going to tell her about Jesus. So they sat there, talked, and then introduced Jesus to her. And the the instant response of the woman was to give her life to Jesus. You know, um, there's uh, the, the demon-possessed woman. They responded with deliverance. This needs to stop. This woman is in the chains of the enemy. We need to break her free in Jesus' name. And the response of the woman was to give her heart to Jesus. The jailer and his whole family got saved because Paul and Silas, I don't think it was just the praise and worship, but that was a key part of it. When we choose to respond in the right way, not by grumbling and complaining about our circumstances. Now, let me, let me make this clear. God knows our circumstances. He understands what we're walking through and he, and he cares. He really deeply cares about every single aspect of our lives, every aspect, and he has an answer. And there's something about, it's not denial, praising and worshiping through our circumstances. It's actually a key. It's a key to breakthrough. It's a key to freedom because it just elevates us above the circumstance. It takes us out of it for a bit and helps us to zoom out and see God's bigger perspective. God can turn every situation around. You 
the Bible says he can turn all things to good or works all things together for good for those who are who love him and are called according to his purposes. That's us, yeah? We love him, we called according to his purposes. So therefore he has a way of turning our situation around. Um, it may not work out the way we expect it to. Paul and Silas did not expect to be in prison. But God, because of their response, used their circumstance. And the thing is, it brought breakthrough to many other people. This is the beautiful thing about the story. That the jailer and you know the church in Philippi, the pastors and leaders, they, they opened up the whole of um, Europe from that place. Like that was the opening. They hadn't been able to get through before. But just those breakthrough moments and those people positioned. I want to encourage you this morning. You may have no idea what your little portion of life's journey is, is working in the life of someone else. Like that woman in the Vodafone store. I don't know the outcome. I don't need to know. But, but maybe my little part of intersecting with her has played part of her, then meeting with someone else. Like, God, I love what Pastor Helen Monk says. God's always knitting behind our backs. He's always working stuff out. He's always putting things together. And I think the danger sometimes is that we get so micro in the way we look at our lives. My, my momentary situation, my troubles at the moment, the stuff I'm going through, it's so hard. It's so, but if we could dare to actually zoom out, and that's actually point number four, dare to zoom <laughs> too soon. But dare to zoom, dare to zoom out, dare to actually see the bigger picture. That's what I love about this story. It's so, so bigger picture. On advice of the Holy Spirit, they went to this place and then um, met these people and people got turned around and they were in chains, but the chains got broken off and they didn't run free because they hadn't finished their assignment. And then they moved on. Here's the thing. Paul wrote most of the New Testament from prison. And that prison, like I said before, in, in specifics, was probably the, the deepest, darkest place he'd been. In, in stocks, limbs stretched, agony, and yet still chose to praise. And it was Paul who wrote to the Philippian church, I've learnt the secret of contentment in every circumstance. I've learnt how to be content in every circumstance. That doesn't say I've learned how to be content because things have worked out well for me. It doesn't say I've learned how to be content because my plans have all worked out, my shuffling. It doesn't say I've learned how to be content because everything's going my way. It says I've learned how to be content in every circumstance. Paul was the one who also said all these things, you know, listing his credentials as a as a strong Jewish man. You know, he actually said, in terms of the law, I was faultless. That's as close to sinless you can be in Jewish, you know, by Jewish standards. I was faultless. I kept every law, you know, and yet, and I persecuted this Christian church because it seemed so against our, our law and our ideals, and it seemed so wrong. And then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and Jesus revolutionized his world, turned him, you know, 180 degrees, walking in another direction, and his life was then sold out for the cause. It was sold out for the mission of Jesus. And he's the one that said all these things that I once thought so very worthwhile, all these things that I used to bring worth to myself, that I used to encourage myself with, that self-righteousness, all these things, I've thrown them all away. The Bible says I count them, like it basically says, basically dog dung. They are like dog dung <laughs> compared with the priceless gain 
of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and being one with Him. Paul understood two very clear things. First and foremost, we're made to love God and to love people. Love God, love people. Jesus Himself said, the whole of the Jewish law is fulfilled in those two things. All the laws you're trying to keep, all the rules. You know, you might be here this morning and you're living a slightly religious, rule-keeping Christianity. I want to say to you this morning, that's not what, what Jesus has for you. That's not living in the fullness. Because he said the whole law, all the rules can be summed up by this one thing or two things. Love God and love people. If we're fulfilling those, if we're doing our best to love the Lord our God with our whole mind, whole strength, everything within us, and then we translate that into loving and caring for people, then we're doing what God wants us to do. We're living the way He wants us to live. And then the second thing Paul understood was mission. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. The the translation originally of that is actually, as you go into all the world, make disciples. I just think it meant if I have to go to India or deepest, darkest Africa and I have to be a missionary to make disciples, go into all the world. But no, it's as you go into your world, as you go to work, as you go to school, as you go to a family gathering, as you go into all your world, make disciples. That's what we're about. It's love God, love people and mission. Paul and the, and the apostles were absolute, you know, they most of them died for their faith apart from John. They were all martyred. They all went through really, really horrible hard things and died for their faith and yet they were sold out with a love and a passion for Jesus. And I guess that's what I want to leave you with this morning. Could you dare to zoom out and see the bigger picture? Whatever situation you're walking through today, God is doing something so much bigger. So much bigger. There's so much more for you. He's knitting behind your back. He's working things out. And if you can choose, one, to listen, two, to walk with Him, three, to respond, and four, to zoom out and see the bigger picture, I know He's going to do something amazing. And He will walk, work all things together for good. But then He's going to call you (laughs) to walk out the mission. Love God, love people, make disciples. Love God, love people, make disciples. That's what we're about. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.